When word got out about the home invasion that had occurred in Deltona, Florida, the media focused heavily on one part of the crime. The reason the mass murder took place, reported the press, was because of a games console. Our moment in crime is the Xbox murders. Now we know there are monsters, but they're not under the bed or in the closet. They are right out there, walking around. These words were spoken by Sean Newman, a resident of Telford Lane, Deltona, Florida. Sean had recently learned that the residents of 3106 Telford Lane had been killed. Six people had been slain in what was Volusia County's worst mass murder. The events that played out on the 6th of August 2004 is a scenario that brings about fear in many people. Four men dressed in black bursting into the one place you should feel safe, your home. Twenty-seven-year-old Troy Victorino sat outside the site of the future home invasion and fired a gun. Had it not been for the lack of ammunition, the gun would have been used in the massacre he was planning. He grew up in Jamaica, Queens, New York City and moved to Deltona in 1987. At the age of nine, Victorino was sent to a psychiatric facility and during his stay there, he was diagnosed with a, quote, manic depressive disorder, end quote. As a child, he was often abused physically and from the age of two, he was sexually abused. During the trial for the home invasion, evidence that Victorino had a frontal lobe brain injury was shared. Jail was a place Victorino was familiar with. In 1996, he was convicted of beating Michael Stern with a walking stick. The attack was so severe that one of Michael Stern's eyes suffered permanent damage. The press said that Stern had a Honda that Victorino wanted. Victorino said that someone else carried out the beating and he took the blame. Why did Victorino sit in his car outside 3106 Telford Lane and fire his gun? Victorino felt he had been disrespected by one of the home's residents, 22-year-old Erin Belanger. Erin had moved to Florida from New Hampshire to take care of her grandparents' winter home, which, as far as I am aware, is not the house on Telford Lane. When she discovered that squatters had taken over the property, Erin had deputies evict them and she boxed up any belongings that had been left behind. Victorino was one of the squatters, as was Jerome Hunter, one of Victorino's accomplices. Hunter was 18 years old at the time of the massacre and was clinically depressed. From the age of three, Hunter talked to his identical twin brother, Jeremy, who died from pneumonia at six months old. Hunter's lawyers would later argue that he had been forced into the murders by Victorino. Victorino began telling people that he had been disrespected by Erin when she had the squatters evicted. 
He felt he had been disrespected even more after Erin called the police when he tried to get his belongings back, including some of his clothes. The media, however, focused on one particular possession and part of the crime's motive that gave the massacre its name. Victorino wanted his Xbox back. The firing of the gun wasn't the only time Victorino intimidated Erin and those she lived with. A week before the murders, a group of people, including Victorino, stood outside Erin's rented home, harassing her and her housemates. Someone known as Abby was visiting the house on that occasion, and he heard a female member of the group shouting, Troy, get Abby. Abby said he told the police that Victorino was among the group threatening Erin, although the authorities claimed they didn't learn of Victorino's involvement until after the home invasion. 19-year-old Abby had been Victorino's friend until Victorino accused Abby of telling Victorino's girlfriend that he was seeing other women. Abby was one of the intended victims the night of the massacre, but he wasn't visiting the housemates on that occasion. The situation with Victorino was so bad that after the murders, Abby's family received a phone call from the state attorney's office warning them that Abby's life and that of his twin brother may still be in danger from associates of the suspects. Victorino met his other two accomplices about four days before the massacre. Robert Cannon was 18 at the time. Michael Salas was also 18. Child Protective Services were involved in his childhood. Salas and his brothers were regularly exposed to drug use as well as suffering from malnourishment and being subjected to abuse at the hands of their mother. His father, Roberto, died of AIDS when Michael was nine. He dropped out of school in the ninth grade and was diagnosed with several mental illnesses, including bipolar disorder. Two days before the home invasion, Victorino, Hunter, Salas and Cannon visited a Walmart. They were all holding baseball bats. After being unable to find enough ammo for Victorino's gun, they collected around 15 baseball bats from neighbourhood children. Cannon was overheard saying, We could take this bat and swing it and knock them over the head and crush their skull in. To which Salas responded with, I got a better idea. We could bash them in the face and knock their teeth down their throat. Erin Belanger worked at Burger King and her three housemates were also her co-workers. 30-year-old Francisco Io Roman was in a relationship with Erin. He'd spent his childhood in Puerto Rico and moved to Florida so he could earn his nursing certificate. Anthony Vega had moved to the area from the Bronx and also earned a living as a painter and construction worker. 
The 34-year-old had only been living at 3106 Telford Lane for just two weeks prior to the murders. At 19 years old, Michelle Ann Nathan was excited about living on her own. She was Anthony's girlfriend and she dreamed of marrying him. Her parents considered her to be a princess and she even had a tattoo of one on her arm. After the massacre, Michelle's father got the same tattoo. The four housemates had two guests staying over the night of the murders. Tito Gonzalez was 28 and he had moved to Deltona from Inwood, Manhattan that same year. Tito was staying the night so he could be closer to a friend he was meant to be accompanying to a house painting job the next morning. Jonathan Gleason was from Deltona and, at 17 years old, he was the youngest person in the house that night. He spoke Spanish, Portuguese and French. He'd recently applied for a job at Burger King and had plans to volunteer at a medical clinic in Africa. To those who knew him, Jonathan was funny, clever and loving. When two of the housemates didn't arrive at work on the 6th of August, a co-worker went to check on them. The co-worker went to 3106 Telford Lane about 6.30am and found a horrific scene. The front door had been kicked in and the deadbolt was broken. A 13-inch shoe print was visible on the door and there was blood everywhere. Victorino, Hunter, Cannon and Salas arrived at the home about 1am on the 6th of August. The shoe print on the door belonged to Victorino as it matched a pair of Lugs boots he owned, although he would later say someone had taken his boots and wore them while committing the crime. It's believed that most of the victims were asleep when their killers burst into the home. Jonathan Gleason was sitting in a recliner when the men broke in and was fatally stabbed in the neck by Hunter. Using an aluminium baseball bat, Victorino beat Francisco Ioroman to death. Tito Gonzalez was beaten in the head with a bat and then stabbed several times in the chest and stomach by Hunter. After she was beaten to death, Victorino sexually abused Erin Belanger's body. Erin had been beaten so badly that not even dental records could identify her. Victorino then found Anthony Vega in the master bedroom. Victorino beat Anthony and then stabbed him in the throat. After hearing the men storm into the house, Michelle and Nathan decided to hide in a closet and attempted to hide her face with a blanket. She was found by Hunter, who bludgeoned and stabbed her to death. Not even Erin's dog, a dachshund named George, escaped death. George was intentionally stomped to death. After the murders, Victorino found his Xbox and some of his clothes and left. (laughs) 
The trial was held two years later in St Augustine due to concerns that media coverage on the murders made a fair trial difficult. The court heard from a state witness that Victorino had recruited Hunter, Cannon and Salas and gave them a hand-drawn map of 3106 Telford Lane. He told them where each victim slept. Victorino claimed that he had been drinking at Papa Joe's from 11pm to 12.15am the night of the murders and that he had 13 witnesses who could confirm he was at the bar. However, only two of them testified for him. As mentioned previously, Victorino admitted that the bloody lugs boots shown at the trial were his, but said that someone had taken them from him and wore them while committing the murders. This was reminiscent of when he was convicted of assaulting Michael Stern. He'd claimed he was taking the blame for someone else. Eventually the verdicts came in. Michael Salas was found guilty of the first-degree murder of all six victims, conspiring to commit aggravated battery, tampering with physical evidence and armed burglary of a dwelling. Robert Cannon was found guilty of similar charges, as well as five counts of abuse of a dead human body and cruelty to an animal. Both men were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Jerome Hunter closed his eyes as he was found guilty of similar charges. He stared straight ahead as he was sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murders of Jonathan Gleason, Michelle Ann Nathan, Tito Gonzalez and Anthony Vega. For the murders of Erin Belanger and Francisco Io Roman, he received life. Victorino's mother believed that her son wasn't guilty, but the jury failed to agree. After being found guilty, Victorino was also sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murders of Erin Belanger, Francisco Io Roman, Tito Gonzalez and Jonathan Gleason. He received a life sentence for the murders of Michelle Ann Nathan and Anthony Vega. Victorino and Hunter settled into death row at the Union Correctional Institution and Hunter made history by becoming the youngest inmate on death row at the time. Then, in 2017, news about the case that divided opinion was released. When Victorino and Hunter received their death sentences, the jury hadn't been unanimous in their decision. At the time, only seven or more of 12 juror votes were needed in order to hand out the death sentence. But when the Florida Supreme Court ruled that a jury needed to be unanimous when recommending death, it was decided that the pair would get new sentencing hearings. The guilty verdict still stood and Victorino and Hunter began serving life sentences on two of the murders along with another life sentence each for burglary with assault. After learning of the news about Victorino and Hunter's sentences, Erin Belanger's father, Bill, said, I think the ruling was right as far as a legal ruling. 
If it takes a unanimous decision to convict, it should be unanimous to be sentenced to death. In the name of fairness. But Kay Shukwit, Michelle and Nathan's mother, disagreed with the new sentencing hearings. She said, It's just my feelings are, why are you making all of us go through this again? There's no sense at all. It's just ridiculous, because one or two didn't vote for the death penalty. To me, majority rules, which is how it's always been, so why is it changing now? In March 2018, Victorino requested that his death sentence be reduced to a life sentence. Victorino had argued that sentencing him again would be too time-consuming and costly and that it would violate the constitutional protection against double jeopardy. The Florida Supreme Court unanimously rejected his request. Perhaps the most controversy surrounding the case, however, came when it was revealed that the murders could have been avoided. The controversy resulted in a bill being passed by the Florida Legislature that requires additional hearings for probation violators who have violent histories. If the offender is considered dangerous, they can be sent back to jail. During the summer of 2004, Victorino was out on probation, but this didn't stop him from assaulting a man on the 29th of July. Victorino's probation officer, Richard Burrow, was informed of Victorino's subsequent arrest and that he had posted bail. Burrow was required to file a report with a judge about the arrest within 48 hours. However, his supervisor Paul Hayes didn't receive the report until the 4th of August. Victorino met with Burrow on the 5th of August. Despite being legally allowed, although not required, to carry out a warrantless arrest on Victorino, which the authorities later said should have happened, Burrow allowed Victorino to leave the meeting. Had Burrow carried out the arrest, Victorino would have been off the streets. Burrow asked for an arrest warrant the next day and a judge finally received the probation violation report that same day. But it was already too late. By now, it was well past 1am on the 6th of August. The Xbox murders had already been carried out.